Welcome to the Under the Fig Tree podcast and Merry Christmas, everyone. In today's episode, George takes us to that first Christmas where we'll see Joseph and Mary and their relatives and the inn and the shepherds. And then we'll arrive at Emmanuel, God with us. And we won't take much of your time today, but we hope that when you finish listening, you'll not only know maybe a little more about the culture and times into which our Savior was born, but you'll also be inspired to consider the us, God with us. So without further ado, let's join George and journey back to Bethlehem this Christmas. It was hard enough to get to sleep, but the sleep that he had was tortured. He he didn't know what to do. Does he follow his head or does he follow his heart? If he follows his heart, he loves her so much. He'd been waiting for her, preparing for her. He remembers when he went to his father to ask her father for her hand. And they were betrothed. And she loved him. There was a fullness about him. He loved her. But then, I'm pregnant. You're what? Right away, he goes to Deuteronomy 23. You see, Joseph is a righteous man, which means, among other things, and of those things, the first things, he's a man of the text. He thinks of Deuteronomy 23. It talks about a mumser marriage, a forbidden marriage. So a marriage where, just like this, is forbidden. The, the offspring of such a marriage is forbidden to go to the assembly of God's people for 10 generations, which could mean literally 10 generations, or could be an emphatic point that this person must never go to synagogue, must never go to temple. What to do? Do I follow my head or do I follow my heart? He was tortured. But then, then there's a presence there. It turns out to be an angel. And the angel says to Joseph, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home to be your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. I think there was a calmness that came over Joseph and being a righteous man, I think his mind went to Isaiah chapter 7. That's certainly where Matthew's mind went. And that's what he was moved to write in the very next sentence. Because all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Joseph wakes up and he wakes up determined to share in the shame. Knowing that, that what was conceived in Mary, well, Mary is innocent of any shame, just as he is innocent of any shame. It's interesting that God doesn't randomly pick people to entrust his Jesus to. He deliberately, intentionally picks two individuals who, though are innocent, embrace the shame and embrace the guilt because they are commanded of God to do so, and they love God so much. And Jesus would learn well what it is, innocent of something, to take the full thrust of it on his shoulders. But I want to go back to the text, this this idea of, Emmanuel, God with us. Make no mistake, Joseph would have been shunned, and and Mary especially. And and when the edict came from Rome for every man to go back to his hometown to be counted, that Joseph couldn't leave Mary with his family. This is, I, I agree, this is an ATG, this is according to George, but in my opinion, the abuse that she would have received from her biological family, the abuse that she would have received from Joseph's family. I mean, Joseph was ready to divorce her. 
she would have had nothing but abuse. And even though she was great with child, it was safer to be with Joseph making that 90-mile journey, that journey that would take a week, week and a half at least to go. And if you think they used a donkey, think again. The redemption price, rather, that they gave for Jesus at the temple after his birth is the price paid by the poor, not the rich. And I'm telling you, I don't think anybody would have loaned them a donkey to go there. And make no mistake about this, that when they got there, there was no place for them at the inn. Bethlehem is a small town. There is no boarding house there. Uh, the word there is Cataluma, and the word Cataluma is used one other place in the Gospels, indeed, in the entire New Testament. It's in that last week of Jesus' ministry. It had been an incredible week, inaugurated with a triumphal entry, uh, the turning over of tables. Uh, It culminates with Jesus saying to his disciples, I want to have this Passover with you. I want you to go and find an upper room. I want you to find a cataluma. You see, on top of the houses would be an extra room. And for more wealthy people, it would be a larger room. For poorer people, it might just be a few sticks with palm branches on top. A cataluma is a spare room. And there was no room for them in the spare room of one of Joseph's relatives. You see, Bethlehem is full of Joseph's relatives. And they had long heard about the outrage of Mary and the outrage of Joseph. Can we come in? No. They shun from one home to the next. And here, here it's the end of the day as I see it. The shepherds are coming back from their fields, and the shepherds too are not high on the economic or on the social or on the religious or on the purity ladder at all. In fact, they are at the bottom. They know what it is to be shunned and to be rebuked. You see, they were considered unclean. They were with their flocks Sabbath day and all, and they knew. And when they saw Mary and Joseph, and Mary now contractions and tears in her eyes, and Joseph panic in his said, why don't we give them our stable? Why don't we give them our cave? And we'll keep watching the flocks and the fields by night. See, that's the last place shepherds would ever keep their flocks is in the fields. But that's where they were when the angels came. And this time the angel had great tidings of great joy and gave him a sign, a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And as if that weren't enough, then the whole heavenly host was there, glorifying God in the highest and giving peace and goodwill to, to men on earth. And then when they were all gone, the shepherds beaming looked at each other and said, do you think? One of the things the angels didn't give the shepherds was directions. I think they knew exactly which stable, which cave to go to. And they go there and there they find it just as the angels had said. Emmanuel, God with. Oh, I love the God with, don't you? That's been God's passion from the very beginning to be with us. I I, I understand that at the garden we were forced to go, but, but it is us who leave God. It's not God who leaves us. God never leaves us, never forsakes us. That's the whole wharf and woof of scripture, one of my seminary professors would say. It's the essence of the text. It's, it's, what God, it's what God said through Moses to Joshua, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. And as if to punctuate it a third time, God says to Joshua, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. The distance between us and God is not of God's making, it's of our making. Emmanuel, God with us. The God with part, I celebrate. It's the us part that I have a little struggle with. You know, I've been thinking a lot about with us and how big is my us. Uh, Many of you probably know that I I grew up in, in eastern Ontario. My parents immigrated after the war, which was after the depression. And in the Netherlands, they hosted the war, which meant that it was a lot of destruction 
and uh, and they immigrated to Canada and they didn't have hardly any money and they didn't have command of the language and and my dad would my dad would celebrate every week the fact that we could go to church because he would say this is the one place this week that I don't have to break my tongue I can just speak Dutch again and I remember as a little boy growing up Emmanuel God with us oh come oh come Emmanuel and I would think yeah God is with us with those Baptists down there or with those Catholics over there or with those Pentecostals over there. It's God with us. And ever since then, God has been stretching my us. He's been making it bigger and bigger. It's interesting that that's really what Jesus' whole ministry is about, isn't it? That's the essence of stretching everybody's view of us. God with us. And he he comes. comes. I don't think you could find a more detestable way, a, a more difficult path to walk than to come as a mumser, to be, to be celebrated by shepherds. Are they part of the us? Yes, says God. The, the, the mumser, are mumsers, is there anyone illegitimate in God's view? No, they're part of the us. The stranger in our gate. I remember it in the Ten Commandments, and God gave the Ten Commandments on Sinai, so, so the strangers in their gate were the Egyptians who had enslaved them. Are they part of the us? Yes. That, that woman who was five times married and now living with another guy, is she part of the us? She's part of the us. That woman caught in adultery, is she part of the us? She's part of the us. That Samaritan, that Samaritan, is he, is he part of the us? He's part of the us. That Roman? The, the one who built the synagogue for you? Yes. The one I'm amazed about? Yes. Romans are part of the us. Well, certainly not lepers. Lepers who are a wa- the walking dead. They are so unclean. They're, they're not part of the us, are they? They're part of the us. I, I, just, I just see Jesus' ministry getting broader and broader and broader. The Apostle Paul would say, our battle's not against flesh and blood. I, I remember one of the last times I preached on that. I, I asked the congregation, okay, everyone who's flesh and blood, would you please stand? And everyone in the sanctuary stood. And I said, would you please look around? And they all looked around. I said, your battle's not against them. And when we leave here, everybody that you meet who's flesh and blood, our battle's not against them. You see, every one of these situations have this in common. They are people who have labels that no longer serve them, but enslave them. These labels blind others especially me, to who they really are in God's eyes. And every one of them, shepherd, slave, uh, Samaritan, doesn't matter. They're all image bearers. Which makes me start to think, how big is my us? How is Jesus stretching my us? Democrats, part of the us. Republicans, part of the us. Transgender, part of the us. How big is your us? You see, the world, and I find commentators and pundits all arguing, all wanting us to go into their corner where everything's black and white, but the world isn't black and white, and Jesus came. He's God, Emmanuel, with us. And, and I find, I find I celebrate the with. I struggle with the us. How big is the us? How does that passage go? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Not to condemn the world, but to save the world. And I look back and I wonder how much condemning has been in George 
and how much saving God wants to do through George. By the way, this mumser thing in Deuteronomy 23, Jesus definitely is a mumser. And yet you might say, well, George, but, but, but he was in synagogue. He, he went to temple. How did he get there? Well, now, now I'm reminded of the whole purpose of the Bible. You see, the Bible is written to answer a question. The question isn't, does God exist? The question is, which God do you serve? Serve that God. Make sure he exists and serve him in as much as they've earned it. No more or no less. You see, the scripture is God's polemic of who he is and how much he loves and the extent that he will go to find that one lost sheep. Labels are helpful up to a point. Labels are helpful up to the point until they block the essence of who we all are, really, image bearers. And you see, the reason I follow Jesus is the same reason why he came to synagogue and why he was in temple is because he's earned it. He earned it. He gave his life for me. He paid for my sins. And the more I embrace that reality, I find it makes my concept of us bigger. Emmanuel, God with us. Merry Christmas, and may God bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance to you and give you his shalom both now and forevermore. Amen.